Governor Price is our prisoner, and we have complete control of the Imperial Dome, with every trooper, pilot, and officer trapped inside. You failed, Thrawn. Leave Lothal, and we might let your troops out before we blow the dome to pieces. Are you quite finished? If you truly wish to save Lothal, Commander Bridger, the only term I'll accept is your immediate and unconditional surrender. Why would I surrender when I hold your entire army prisoner? No, you've simply moved my assets to a safe position so that I can bombard the civilians of your home without incurring Imperial casualties. Rex, raise the planetary shields! The generators just went offline! Shield generator powered down, sir. Someone's engaged the manual override at the power terminals. Your shield generator's under my control. Just so that you understand that my intentions are genuine, I shall demonstrate my power. Open fire. Bucketheads, Mavar Tigar. Welcome to the seventh action, seven, excuse me, the seventeenth action-packed episode of Mandovision, Nargai Tom, and thank you so much for checking out this small, independent Star Wars podcast. Today we are here to discuss and speculate about all the juicy nuggets that Chapter Thirteen, The Jedi, unleashed upon us, and what it could mean for our best car-plated friend and his little green companion. But before we dive into that, remember the best way to, re to get a hold of us at this program is via social media. We are at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and share the show with all the Mandos in your clan. And if possible, or so inclined, please give out those sweet, sweet, sweet five-star reviews. They help a small, independent podcast like this stand out on our own and not get lost out in the, in the shuffle. And uh, uh, please head over to our parent website, 3bzine.com, where you can find a link to our... Uh, to our page there that has all the episodes. You'll also find episodes of Mando... Of, aside from Mando Vision, you'll also find the Tomcast Popcast and Beer Night in San Diego. You can also check out our Store Envy page, which has sweet, sweet merch from all three shows on the network. Beskar is still out of stock due to insane demand over Black Friday weekend. Alright, let's strap on our buckets and get into this juicy tidbits episode that we're going to call we're going to call this Bantha Tracks because uh, let's give a little shout out to the original fan magazine of Star Wars the, the original fan club magazine of Star Wars so this is like a Bantha Tracks episode where we're going to kind of, you know, we don't have to go back and do the review this time around we can kind of get into uh, uh, some speculation because there's, there's so much that we can pull apart from this recent episode as we try to to, to, to figure out what's going to happen next with, with, our, with our, 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 our heroes. You know, Din Djarin and Grogu in particular. You know, we, we talked a lot about uh, the aesthetics and, and, and sort of like the Yojimbo aspect of the last episode of the Jedi. And, and we had some other comparisons to some Lone Wolf and Cub stuff, which I thought was a lot of fun. 
Um, but we didn't play the speculation game very much. And and I was really excited to come back on and, and do an episode where we kind of got to follow some of these... Like, you know, let's, let's kind of get on a path and see where it might lead us with some of the information that we got from this episode because there, there was so much of it there. And I also wanted to get back on the podcast and give you guys and gals and fine folks that are listening a, a more exuberant version of me than the, than the one I had to do uh, on Friday night when it was very, very late. And uh, um, I made a, you know, you probably noticed there, there were a few things that were like, oh, he doesn't normally do that on this show. Like, I dropped an F-bomb by accident. I try to keep this Star Wars podcast very family-friendly, uh, but in my, my tired state and, and uh, my, uh, my, again, my exuberance, I, one did slip out, and I didn't catch it until it was far too late. So there it is. My my, I think it might be my lone f bomb on the, on the series so far, but I do really try to keep that in, in check. I apologize for that. Uh, and and again, one more thing before we get into in, into this episode uh, where we where we talk about some of those lovely nuggets of, of info that we got. Uh, let's kind of take a moment, you know, to to send our condolences out. And, and express our sympathies uh, for the passing of, of David Prowse, the original Darth Vader. I, I say original, but uh, I, what, what I mean is, the, you know, the man in the suit, the man who put it all together and, and, and gave us that intimidating visual presence that was Darth Vader. Uh, so iconic. So, uh, uh, you know, just... A, a, it, something that will stay with us forever a part of pop culture and reg and norm you know normal human civilization culture like darth vader could go on a mount rushmore and everyone will know who it is and it would also look pretty fearsome uh, if aliens ever came to attack on the planet you'd see they'd, they'd see that and be like well i don't want to mess with that guy let's get let's get the heck out of here so our 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 our, our uh, deepest sympathies it, it's it ter terrible that we're seeing so many of the uh, original cast and crew of of star wars passing away um, but, uh, time is undefeated. And, uh, if anyone's figured out how to defeat time, please share it with me because I'd still love to do podcasts, you know, in another 80 years or so, but <laughs> odds are I'll be, I'll be joining our, our, our fallen heroes here. So, uh, it, a little bit of a side note here. I, you know, if you go back and you, you find some interviews with David Browse, and as you probably can hear the garbage truck backing up behind me, because of course he waited for me to do the podcast to get here and back his truck up. Great times, as always, here in San Diego. Guy usually comes at 3.30, now he comes at 5 o'clock. My God. <laughs> Unbelievable. Anyways, uh, David, you know, a lot of interviews, especially the ones I saw when I was a younger person, uh, he always came across as a little uh, bitter and a little, little, little jaded about... Uh, the, his experience as Vader, uh, you know, he was he was always convinced that he did a darn good job doing that voice, bringing that character to life, and and was was uh, I think he felt betrayed uh, by by Lucas and, and everybody for for them not using his his vocals and and bringing in James Earl Jones to you know sort of redub the the redub the the, vo the voice. And to be fair, I think he has a, a, a legitimate argument. And I'll talk about that in a second. But let, I mean, let's also be honest. James Earl Jones's his voice, I mean, brings so much weight and gravitas to the role of Darth Vader that it, it would be hard to picture it anybody else nowadays. Now that being said, uh, I am reading Anthony Daniels' C-3PO uh, memories, uh, which is like it, lo it looked back at, at Anthony Daniels' journey as a, as a young actor and, and his uh, being cast in Star Wars. 
the experience he had filming the movie. Uh, I'm about, I'm a little over halfway through, and, and uh, he has told some interesting stories in this book. I think I recommended this book a, a long time ago on TomCast Popcast. And now that I'm getting into it, uh, I can recommend it on, on more than just a, a, a sort of surface level. It, it's a fantastic read. Uh, but Anthony, Mr. Daniels, tells a, 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 a very interesting story uh, about how, unbeknownst to him, Lucas and, and you know, Gary Kurtz and, 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 you know, the people behind the scenes were looking to, to dub over his original recordings with, with another actor. And ultimately, ultimately, they, they, they had to turn to Anthony and, and say, you know what, maybe the original voice you did wasn't as, wasn't as bad as all that because they brought in, you know, dozens and dozens of other actors and they were never able to, 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 to get it to, you know, what they were looking for, I suppose. And, and Anthony's take was apparently the closest and it sort of ended up working and it worked out great. Uh, but Anthony tells the story. He didn't know that was going to happen. He had no idea that he was, that they were potentially going to be, be dubbing over him with another actor. So... Uh, that that is why I, I, I sort of have uh, altered my stance on on David Prowse's um, of feelings about being uh, uh, sort of vocally recast by James Earl Jones, and and I totally understand because I, you know as an actor you you do put a lot into your into your performance into into what you bring to the screen and what you bring to that character, uh, and and again if you, if it'd be one thing if if Lucas or Kurtz or anybody involved had said. No, you're there to be the physical presence, and and we're gonna bring in somebody else to do the voiceovers later. So just you know, whatever, do your thing. That would it would be a very different scenario if if that would had been the case. But it sounds like that was not discussed ever, and and so when 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 Prowse watched the film for the first time, I'm sure he was very shocked uh, that his his uh, his ADR was 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 not used, and they brought in James Earl Jones to to do his part. So I, I I guess I can understand those kind of hard feelings if. This was something that was not discussed with him when he initially signed on to be Darth Vader. Uh, it's very, it's, it's it's an interesting way to make a movie, and you know, obviously George Lucas was very young when he's making this this film, and it sounds like he had some some um, shortcomings in in the process uh, as far as communicating with the the cast and the crew about like what the vision was and, and things like that. But uh, again, I don't I don't want to go down that road too much. Uh, but again, Anthony Daniels' book, the the C three PO biography that he's that he's done is 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 wonderful and fantastic. Uh, I recommend reading it. But because I'm a total nerd, I got I also have the Audible version of it too, where where Anthony himself, Mister Daniels himself, reads reads the memories, and it's wonderful to hear it in his voice because uh, it's it's like having C three PO talk to you. So it's it's quite fantastic, and uh, very, he's a very charming, very witty man, and. Uh, the the feelings that he shares, uh, you know, very intimate, very personal stuff about about his 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 feelings about some of the things that went on when when Star Wars was first released in '77. So I, I recommend that highly. All right, so let's get into let's let's get back to our our best guard plated hero, and we'll talk about the whole episode, not a review, just the juicy nuggets. All right, so the first thing first, let's go back and revisit our our revelations about the child a.k.a. Baby Yoda, and now to be known as Grogu. Now, since since Friday, when I when I initially recorded uh, the podcast, uh, I definitely have come around on that name. I'm definitely more... The more, I, uh, the more I say it, the more I play with it, the more people 
uh, text it to me and we have chats about it. Uh, the, the name has grown to me. So I, I'm definitely okay with it. It, it, it. it works. He needed to have a name. They could have gone way worse. You know, <laughs> they definitely could have gone way worse. Some of, some of you Star Wars fans out there who know uh, sort of the back catalog of, of, of you know, D and, you know, D and Zila's characters in, in, this, in the Star Wars universe know how bad some of the names can be. Uh, but no, Grogu works fine. I still have a little bit of my concern about, you know, the comparisons to baby Groot. Now you have Grogu. Whatever. It's fine. It's fine. We'll, we'll all survive. Somehow we will make it past this. And, uh, you know, again, I think once you roll it around in your head a few times, you'll be just fine with it. Let's get to the revelations, though. Let's talk about what Ahsoka shared with Din about Grogu and his experience. Again, raised in the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. Sneaked, aw secreted away uh, towards the end of the Clone Wars before the Order fell. Now, a little unclear. Was that the night of Order 66? And, and that's when Grogu was taken from the temple? Or was it prior to that? Was it sometime during, er, you know, earlier in the Clone Wars? Uh, did someone, you know, people with the Force, those Jedi Masters, they can sometimes perceive futures and, and, and go down the timeline a little bit. And maybe they perceived a dark fate for uh, Grogu if he stayed. Perhaps, you know, they, they saw the vision of, of Anakin chopping down younglings. Or, as we said, did, did Grogu, or excuse me, did, was Grogu there at the time that Anakin was chopping down younglings and someone secreted him away, away then? Again, a lot of questions we, we don't have answers to just yet. Uh, the interesting part of the, of the, of the story is... is uh, what happens when when Grogu is 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 hidden? Because uh, as we know from the first episode of the, of the series, at, at some point he is taken into the possession by the Empire. They 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 are able to capture him, or you know, find him, and take him back to their laboratories and begin Moff Gideon's experimentations of of trying to transplant uh, midi chlorians into people who were not born with midi-chlorians in their blood and turn them into force-wielders, into people who can use the force for Moff Gideon's purposes. So what was that like? What was that experience? You know, Ahsoka talks about how Grogu has some darkness in him from, from the experiences and some of that trauma. And we've seen flashes of, of Baby Yoda, excuse me, Grogu, uh, showing that. Specifically, I referred to uh, in Season 1 when he puts the force choke on Cara Dune. Again, that's pretty dark stuff. And we've seen, in, in a sort of innocent enough way, but we've seen uh, Grogu, excuse me again, uh, act in his own self-interest, which is, you know, stealing cookies and, and, and things of that nature. So, I, 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 I started it in the original podcast, and I still sort of maintain it, that, that Grogu suffers from some sort of Jedi version of, of PTSD, and it has forced. It has resulted in him withdrawing from the Force, using it less and less and less, as sort of part of a way to help hide himself from the Empire and in various other parties who may be looking for him. Which I think is something we also have to consider here: that perhaps there are other parties interested in in Grogu. You know, perhaps he was secreted away from from the Jedi Temple uh, because of other factors. Factors potentially within the Jedi Order, but that seems unlikely. But there, there, there's still a lot of, of, sort of rich soil here to to kind of dig into, and I think there's gonna be a lot of uh, interesting connections to the original trilogies, 
uh, original. By I say original, but I mean I meant the you know the prequels, like episode two and three and stuff like that. There, there, there's a lot to kind of get into there, like during the Clone Wars and and between the Clone Wars periods. It's going to be fascinating to see to to learn that story. Actually, I mean, not to not to kind of dance around. I'm dance around too much here, but this the story. If we ever get to see the story, if if Grogu can take us into his memories at some point, or somehow communicate to Din Djarin, uh, what happened, and we get to see it through through his eyes, and that that would be completely fascinating if they were to revisit. The Night of Order sixty six, or you know, if it is some time before that, there, there's still some some questions here about that that actual time piece. But we're we're not quite sure. And as far as that goes, I mean, we so we, we get to dispel clone theory notions. We get to dispel the fact that if is, is he uh, some kind of genetically engineered being? That's that's all now moot. I, at least I would say it's moot. Again, we don't know his exact origins. You know, was was is is did Yoda bring him from his his species planet or whatever world they live on or ship or what you know whatever? Those are the, you know those exact origins we don't know, but we know that he is a being imbued with great force powers who suffered some dark trauma, and and that darkness has sort of tainted him in in a way, uh, much like the traumas that Anakin Skywalker had affected him. And because of his emotional attachment to Din Djarin, Ahsoka sees that, and she sees... I think she sees echoes of Anakin. Remember, Ahsoka is one of the few in on the secret. I talked about that uh, on, the, on the original episode of the show. So I don't need to go down that road once, once again. So interesting stuff there. What I wanted to talk about... I wanted to go back to Ahsoka just a little bit too, uh, because I sort of danced around this a little bit. I didn't quite... I don't know if I quite hammered home my point that Ahsoka... Again, not technically a Jedi, but because she left the Order and the Order's uh, bureaucracy and she saw that the Order had become sort of tainted and corrupted, uh, Ahsoka is probably more Jedi than many of the Jedi that we saw in that, that prequel trilogy. You know, she is sort of like the pure of heart member of the Jedi Order. And that's not to say that she has not been tempted or, sway, or potentially at moments lost control and, and, and you know, stepped, put, a, put a foot on that dark side path. Uh, but she sort of, again, by leaving the Order, she sort of becomes the best of what the Order is actually supposed to be there for. Again, not controlled by bureaucracy and politicians and, and used as a weapon for political gain or gain in warfare. Uh, she's there to uh, defect, to defend the people, and she is a servant to the Force. Something else I don't think I quite hammered home on the original episode she serves the living force. That's one of the reasons why those those moray owls are uh, are sort of like her her sort of follow her and and signal her are, are sort of like her I don't know her her sort of beacon in in a sense because the living force acts through those these moray and they lead her to like her next cause basically like where is the next what what is what is the will of the force and how do I you know, follow that will and, and do what the force wants to be done as opposed to what some politician, some bureaucrat, some arcane law is telling the Jedi to do. She follows the living force. And in that sense, uh, in a real world sense, you know, we, we have talked about Japanese cinema. We've talked about Western cinema here in America. Uh, so in this sense, she is the Ronin. She's not, she is now a masterless samurai. And, and that is, we see that 
echoed throughout that episode in in her battle with with Morgan Elsbeth. She again very samurai warrior stuff in there, and it's it's really great stuff. My biggest criticism, uh, because I have watched the episode several more times as as one does, especially now that I just download the episode onto my phone and I can just watch it whenever I want. I get to watch. I can just kind of you know slide the finger across the screen and get to the whatever juicy scene I wanted to kind of revisit and analyze again. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've watched the episode from start to finish 84 times. But it's nice to kind of just get to, get to one scene and be like, wait, did they say what I thought they said? And so I, the, one, the one little scene that seems to be bothering me, and I wrote it down because I wanted to make sure that when I thought of this, that I wasn't going to... Uh, I have a tendency to forget some of my, my, my brilliant ideas. Some of my brilliance gets lost in the ether sometimes, and it's like, ah, wait, I don't remember what I was going to say on the podcast now. Darn it. But I, I so I wrote this one down because I, I was like, this was a legitimate question to me. And if anyone listening is out there, uh, you have any thoughts on this, on why this wasn't more addressed, tell me. Let me know what you think. Uh, so my, my question to you is, why is Ahsoka not more alarmed when Din tells her the Empire is hunting Grogu. She just sort of seems to shrug that off a little bit. Now again, she is a servant of the Living Force, and if the Living Force isn't directing her to do specific things, then maybe she's not really all that concerned with why the Empire is doing something. But I think she ought to be. Specifically when it comes to, to Gideon's plan of, of, of trying to harm Grogu, harvest his, his blood the midi-chlorians from his system, and potentially uh, graft them to another being to make uh, dark Jedi or you know, or uh, you know just imperial versions of Jedi. It it's it it should be something that alarms Ahsoka more than it does. And I just wonder if you know was it just for the sake of of convenience that she just kind of goes past that because we have X story to tell and we can't go there just yet because we're still kind of setting the table with Ahsoka and what her role might be on this show. Assuming we, we, we catch up with Ahsoka again, which I do sort of think is inevitable. And there's that. So, like, what do you think of that? I think that is a, a really interesting question. And I would love a little bit more clarification on, you know, why she just sort of was like, meh, okay, they're looking after, you know. But, you know, maybe she just thinks, well, well, you're here. You're quite capable. You're a Mandalorian. You can protect the child from the Empire. The entire Imperial remnant that seems to be... Uh, uh, still quite capable of, of, of providing endless amounts of stormtroopers and, and speeder bikes and, and TIE fighters and, and things of that nature. Would love to hear thoughts. You know, you, you, uh, you all know where to find me. Let me know what you think. Uh, otherwise, the last thing I, do, I wanted to talk about from Ahsoka's perspective that I didn't quite get into, again, we sort of talked about that great battle at the very end, the very samurai-esque duel between Morgan Elsbeth and Ahsoka Tano. Let's let's break this down real quick. All right, we get to, we we saw it. It happened in the in the in the initial confrontation between Ahsoka and and Dinjarin. Beskar holds up mighty nice against white lightsabers, doesn't it? Yeah, it does a pretty good job defending itself. So at the end of the conflict, at the end of the battle with Elsbeth, and again, we still don't know if she lived or died. I've watched the episode multiple times, and it's not really clear what happens. I also wasn't able to tell if Ahsoka was able to reclaim her second lightsaber or if she's just now solo lightsaber. I would assume she can get the second one back from the water. I mean, we see Jedi call the two of their lightsabers all the time. 
Did anyone notice if she had a second hilt? Because I still haven't seen it in on on her belt. You just in in the in the rewatches yet. So let me know what you think. Does she have the two, or is she down to one? It's got to be two. That's what I think. Anyways, back to that battle with Elsbeth though. At the end, she hands the, she has the best car spear, and she hands it to Mando. Mando, Din Djarin, now has a very formidable weapon to go toe to toe with another lightsaber wielder that we've seen on the show. Oh yeah, I'm talking about Moff Gideon and the dark saber because it's got to be coming, right? That this has got to be foreshadowing. You've now given Din Djarin a weapon that can withstand a lightsaber. I think this is going to be a big deal. <laughs> I, re- I really, really do. Uh, th- it seems like we are on a a a we're we're on track for a head-on collision between Din and Moff Gideon at this point. Remember, three episodes left this season. We've gotten a ton of great story and great content, but they are on a collision course with each other at this point. And again, the, remember the trackers on the Razor Crest. That doesn't come up in this episode at all. But clearly, Gideon knows where Mando and Grogu are. So he can swoop in at any time, basically, whenever he's ready to re- to uh, sort of, I don't think reclaim is the word I want to use, but sort of take possession again, once again of little Grogu. He knows how to find Mando, and he knows how to fight Mando. Uh, he has dark troopers on, on the horizon, and potentially some some dark Jedi down the down the road, so uh, uh, I think a lot a lot will be coming up with with Giancarlo Esposito's Moff Gideon character. I'm really excited about that, and and I don't know. You think I think I'm way off base? I think I nailed it on that one. <laughs> now, man, now, now Din Djarin can go toe to toe against the dark saber, uh, and maybe help get it back to Bo Katan, or does Bo Katan swoop in? And help fight Moff Gideon. We know she's on the on the look for him too. Interesting thoughts, right? All right. So before we get off of Ahsoka, we also have to talk a little bit about the the big name drop in the episode. We we talked to a touch about it in the in the review episode. Grand Admiral Thrawn. We played a clip from Star Wars Rebels to open today's episode to give everyone a little taste of Thrawn if they aren't familiar with him just yet, because I, I think you will be. I think you will be after 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 this week's episode. I mean, I'm sure by now you've Googled it <laughs> and, and done all the research. So uh, good stuff right there. Uh, so let's talk about that name drop, because as this episode, or I'm sorry, as this season of The Mandalorian has progressed, we are getting more into the Star Wars mythology. We're, we're, we're getting deeper into the mythos, of the other series, of the of the of the other trilogies, even. I mean, let's 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 talk about it. Let's let's kind of get into the, the the idea. I mean, obviously, it's it's a rumor. There will be an Ahsoka Tano spinoff series, and maybe this episode was a backdoor pilot. We 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 mentioned that, or I mentioned that on the last episode uh, in the in the breakdown. Is that what we just watched? Did we watch a backdoor pilot? Did we watch a setup for a, 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 the inevitable Star Wars spinoff series of Ahsoka Tano? And, and possibly reuniting uh, with with a live action uh, Sabine Wren and and uh, potentially Harrison Dula potentially you know Bo Katan could be on that show as well though I think Bo's more at home on this show keep it focused on Mandalore and again that's what I'm gonna, what I'm going to kind of get into I tend to think 
And I could be dead wrong. I'm not afraid to admit that. I sort of think it's geared for for a, a, a spinoff show. That's my thought on that. It seems like a bit of a reach to bring Grogu and Din Djarin into Ahsoka's world in, in what would be essentially supporting character roles to potentially battle Grand Admiral Thrawn. Unless that's the next big threat after Moff Gideon. That's the only way I can see that this scenario kind of working is that Mando starts working his way up the food chain of, of Empire Imperial baddies who are hunting for Grogu. Now, we don't know if Gideon is in league with, with Thrawn. We don't know, uh, you know, is, is, is Thrawn working for Gideon? Is Gideon working for Thrawn? We don't know if any of that's on the table at all right now. Is Thrawn playing his own game? Is he off somewhere else doing his own thing? And for anyone wondering, we're going to talk about Thrawn in a minute, but I'm, I'm just kind of throwing some, some, some ideas out here, some, some, some conjecture. And um, conjecture is all I got at this point for, for the Thrawn thing because we don't know what's going to happen. And it seems like every character who shows up on The Mandalorian is rumored for a spinoff series. So it, it, it's hard to say with, with any sort of certainty or, or accuracy if that's when, what's going to happen or if they're just laying seeds for down the road, which seems very likely. But it's a very interesting seed nonetheless, and it, it, it definitely bears talking about. So now we should talk a little bit about the Grand Admiral himself. Again, at the urging of this, this podcast, and probably many others, and many other websites, and, and, and Star Wars fan services, you have been urged to watch the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, and, and maybe you have. Maybe you have, but it's been a little while since Rebels wrapped up, and that's where Grand Admiral Thrawn made his... his Return to Star Wars canon, his 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 debut, if it, if you will, on Star Wars Rebels in season three, the the Emperor brings him in to sort of handle this young small group of of rebels that are causing problems in 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 the outer rim section section of space around the planet Lothal in in particular. Thorne is brought in to deal with him, and we meet a very advanced tactician. A very uh, aggressive, strategic mind, and and uh, Thrawn's fascinating. And I'll get back. I'll get to my my love of that character in a little bit. But as Rebels ends, and I'm going to give spoilers here. So if you if you haven't gotten to the the series finale of Rebels, I'm going to give you a five count. All right, and then you got, you got to skip, or, or or pause the podcast. Okay, so five, four, three, two, one. I made a mistake in the original podcast we did last week when I broke down the episode. I misremembered the final episode of of uh, of, of Rebels. I uh, <laughs> and when I listened back to the episode uh, the other day, I was like, "Oh man, I can't believe I got that wrong." Uh, he, he does not get trapped in the world between worlds with Ezra. They actually get shot out. They they hyperspace out into the unknown regions of the galaxy, which is actually where. Thrawn's people hail from is uh, the Unknown Regions, is a sector of the galaxy known as the Unknown Regions. Uh, if, you, if you were paying attention in the final Star Wars movie, and I, I say final loosely, but I mean of the, of the sequel trilogy, The Rise of Skywalker, uh, the Emperor's planet, that planet the Emperor has all the spaceships on and he's hooked up to his giant uh, puppet machine, uh, that planet is located in 
the unknown regions. And it's a sector of space that's insanely hard to traverse by hyperspace. That is one of the point, one of the things that the the film did get right as far as Star Wars goes. The hyperspace routes to certain planets are difficult to navigate at best. Uh, the movie did con- convey that properly. So Ezra Bridger, the one of the one of the main protagonists of Star Wars Rebels, and Thrawn launched out into hyperspace and lo- in, lost in the unknown regions. And the show wraps up with with Sabine Wren, a a Mandalorian and Ahsoka Tano going to look for Ezra. And uh, if you're looking for Ezra, you might possibly be finding Thrawn at the same time. Now, the epilogue of of Rebels takes place a little, like, roughly a year or so after the Battle of Endor, or shortly shortly after, somewhere within, like, a year or so of the Battle of Endor concluding, where Sabine and Ahsoka go off together to look for Ezra. I misidentified that as well. I actually thought... Uh, that that was further down the Star Wars timeline. So those events take place prior to Ahsoka's meeting with Din Djarin in, t- in episode, I'm sorry, in chapter 13. So that in mind, Ahsoka knows the fate, probably knows the fate of Ezra Bridger, unless that's why she's still looking for Thrawn. Like, just because they went looking doesn't mean they found anybody, but she still obviously knows that Thrawn is in play again. He's back He's pulling the strings of El- of Morgan Elsbeth, but again, we don't know what else he's involved with. We don't know the, the extent of his reach. We don't know if he's in the employ of Moff Gideon. We don't know if he is a rival of Moff Gideon, which is a very, very strong possibility too, uh, as in some of the old expanded universe books, uh, Moffs and 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 uh, admirals from the Imperial Navy were often going against each other. There was a lot of infighting in the Imperial Remnant. Uh, is that the case here? Is there is there Empire versus Empire going on as, as someone is attempting to assert control over the remaining factions of the of the Imperial Navy, of the Imperial forces? And that's a possibility too. You know, perhaps that's why Gideon is, is assembling an army of dark troopers to fight against Thrawn. You know, it may just not it may it may be not just I want to control this sector of space. I need to reassert my control from the New Republic is like, no, 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 I have to get control of the entire Empire because Thrawn is assembling the entire Empire to come at me. That's a possibility too. And I think that's a a fairly fascinating possibility because it, it opens up the opportunity for our hero to end up uh, on both sides of the conflict uh, by hunted by both sides or possibly maybe he's in a scenario where he has to help one side of the conflict, which seems counter, but maybe he cuts a deal with Thrawn to go against Gideon. Or vice versa, if it if it came to protecting the child, and getting some sort of uh, deal struck that would that would remove one faction of the empire from hunting them, maybe that's a deal that he's he's that Dinjarin is willing to strike. An interesting thought. Is that the way it's going to go? Who knows? We don't know because again, is this seed planted for the Ahsoka spinoff, or is this going to be something that 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 Dinjarin finds himself in the middle of? Let's wait and find out. I kind of like this idea of empire versus empire, and actually, what this this sort of escalating of of looking for looking to build dark troopers and 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 uh, you know force wielding uh, stormtroopers who are loyal to Moff Gideon to fight against the forces of, of uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn. I think it's very interesting. I, I sort of love the idea of of two powerful characters, two powerful uh, imperial characters, 
vying to be the one who brings the empire back together. Uh, it it sounds it seems very realistic to me. That sort of seems like it would be, uh, the the way it would it, it would happen, <laughs> which sounds weird. I know it's, it's Star Wars. It's made up, but you know nature abhors a vacuum, right? And rarely, when that's the case, is one person going to step up and, and and lead everyone else. There's probably two or three people who think they are the one to step up and lead, especially in the Empire, where it's it's a lot of ego and it's a lot of uh, uh, a hubris. So, is that what's going on? Is that the case? Ooh, we're gonna have to wait and find out. Now, let me talk a little bit more about about Thrawn because he's a fascinating character. And to do this, we have to go back into the into the Wayback Machine. We have to go back to 1990 freaking one, when the first Star Wars Expanded Universe novel came out. And I just, trust me, uh, all you deep cut people out there, I know. I'm sort of skipping Splinter of the Mind's Eye. It is what it is. And it sort of does, doesn't count. So this is the first one that kind of sort of counted. In the old days. It doesn't count anymore, though. <laughs> and this was, this Grand Animal Thrawn sort of was able to, to be this character. It takes place five years after, excuse me, I haven't named the book yet. Written by Timothy Zahn. The first book is Heir to the Empire. And it's a trilogy. It's called the original. It's called the Thrawn Trilogy. It's easy to find. It's still in print. It just has that Star Wars Legends label on it. So you can get those. Check them out. There'll be some things in there that don't make sense anymore because they are not canon. And you'll be like, oh, that's weird. But it's, in 1991, it made sense because once upon a time, specifically in 1991, not that many people had Star Wars on their radar anymore. It was not the thing that it has become since the late 90s again. You know, the the early to mid-90s, the late 80s, was a, was kind of like a dead period for Star Wars. But a, a, a new book deal was struck with Lucasfilm, and I forget the, I forget the original publisher, whether it was Bantam or something like that. But they were going to bring Star Wars back in books. And we were all excited. And we all went to get it. And we got it. And let me tell you what. Grand Animal Thrawn was a hell of a way to start off a, a, a series. And he was a character that, yes, he was Imperial, but you couldn't help but love the way he was. He was cold and decisive and extremely calculating and, and tactical in a way that we hadn't seen from Imperial operatives in the past. So he, he captures the imagination for sure. And he had the New Republic on the ropes. And if it wasn't for the exposing... Of, of, of a, a old lie that Darth Vader had originally taken advantage of uh, that 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 Grand Admiral Thrawn was was using to his advantage, he probably would have defeated the New Republic and the Empire would have regained control of the galaxy. Now, it's, it, like I said, it's an exciting trilogy. There's a lot more to it than just Thrawn. There's there's clone Jedi's and there's there's uh, 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 little critters that block the Force from Luke Skywalker. You got uh, uh, Han Solo in a conflict with with some other Mandalorians. No, it's not Mandalorians. Excuse me. I meant another smuggler. <laughs> not a Mandalorian. There are no Mandalorians in that series, unfortunately. There, there. But it, it's a great stuff. And and again, one of the reasons why some of the stuff that you read in that book won't make much sense is because we didn't have a prequel trilogy either. So there's reference to to like Clone War era things that don't come to pass because obviously when Lucas went to make his, his prequel trilogy, he didn't consult Timothy Zahn's books. He had his own stories in mind. So those are the things you might bump up against if you were to read them. But you don't have to. Because, again, once Disney bought Lucasfilm, they swept all this stuff away. They swept it all away. 
enter Star Wars Rebels and the man himself, Dave Filoni, who brought Grand Animal Throne back into continuity, this time prior to the events of the original original trilogy of, of A New Hope, of Empire, of Return of the Jedi. So we get to see Thrawn in a time that they didn't talk about him in the books. You kind of get to see him in his rise to power with the Empire. And there's a prequel series of books that Timothy Zahn came back to write for this new continuity. That if you really want to get deep into, into Thrawn, you can read that prequel trilogy. And they just started another prequel trilogy of, of Thrawn books as well with, with his people and his role in, in, in their sort of wars that they have. But hey, I get it. You don't want to read a bunch of books right now. You don't have time for that. It's it's the holidays. That's okay. Stick with Rebels. Again, season three is when he makes his debut. So if you're watching, you have something to look forward to. And you'll be able to get connected or get familiar, get associated with Thrawn, the way he does business, his sort of uh, lethal logic. It, it's it's fascinating stuff. I think I think everyone will really enjoy uh, getting getting to know him a little bit. But what, what to me to me to us us uh, nerds who Remember that old expanded universe canon and his mention now in this latest chapter of of the Mandalorian is that at the end of Rebels, again, I told you what happens at the end of Rebels. He's Ezra Bridger removes Thrawn from the board, per se, of the of the galactic civil war that's coming between the Rebels and the Empire. Why is that interesting? Why does that work? In the original Thrawn trilogy. The reason why you don't hear about this character, the, the the reason why it was devised that you don't know about this brilliant strategic mind that the Emperor has at his disposal is because he has him out doing something that no one else can do. There are other threats in the unknown regions of space, more threatening than the New Republic, or the Rebellion, I should say. So Thrawn's dealing with those. It's not He's on a special assignment with the Emperor, from the Emperor, during the Galactic Republic. During, I'm sorry, during the Galactic Civil War. Jeez Louise, blowing, losing my train of thought here. Now, that's a, a bit of a thin excuse for why this ama- amazing strategic mind would not be involved in the Galactic Civil War against the Rebellion uh, when, when everything was on the line. However, this reason that he's been uh, uh, removed from the board by Ezra Bridger, lost to the Empire for the duration of the Galactic Civil War is very interesting, is very fascinating, especially if Ahsoka Tano had something to do with him escaping whatever uh, confinement he might have found himself in, uh, you know, when he was lost in the Unknown Regions. You know, is Ahsoka the reason why he's able to escape and he makes his way back to the Empire? Why that's great, why that's neat, is because the timelines kind of line up. Heir to the Empire took place five years after Jedi. We are roughly five years after Jedi in the new canon, in the new continuity. This would be the time that Thrawn would return to unite the the stray fa- fra- uh, factions of of the Empire and get them all under his command and be able to present a united front against the New Republic. Is that what's happening? We don't know. We just don't know. And so I guess the biggest question we have to ask ourselves is, is, is that going to be part of the mythology that the, the Mandalorian becomes... Uh, wrapped around or is that going to be something that's an Ahsoka spinoff and I I don't know the question I'm sorry (laughs) I do know the question because I just asked it but I I don't know the answer but as we've as we've we've kind of talked it through here uh, I think there are plenty of scenarios uh, in which the Mandalorian becomes involved in all of this and I would be really curious to see if this is how it's going to how it's going to play out
uh, again, it's it's speculation. Uh, Dave Filoni has surprised me uh, on every show that he's done. The the Clone Wars has gone had gone different ways than I expected it to go. Uh, you know, and I think even a couple of days ago when I when I was uh, talking to him about this episode with a friend, I was like, oh, I don't know, Thrawn might be too big of a thing for 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 Din Djarin and and uh, Grogu to to have to deal with. Uh, but if it's if it's sort of like this, you know, imperial civil war going on between Gideon and Thrawn, that sort of seems to jive. It makes some sense uh, because you can still do your Mandalore stories, you know, with the Mandalorians attempting to get the dark saber from Gideon, attempting to help their people. But then you can kind of do this as well. But I can also see it being for the Ahsoka spinoff, and the Mando Mando stays focused on the Mandalorians. On on this is the way, and on Grogu, I I, I guess it just kind of depends. How big is this show gonna get? Uh, and you know, this show, The Mandalorian, echoes Rebels in a lot of ways. In that Rebels starts as a fairly small show. It's you know very individual missions. They're trying to harass the Empire, but they have things they're trying to do. They're doing some smuggling, but they're trying to make some make some monies. And you're getting to know the cast uh, or the crew of the Ghost. You know, you're getting to know uh, a little bit about Sabine. You get to know about Kanan Jarrus, Ezra Bridger, Harrison Dula, even Chopper the robot. I mean, it's and it's again, it's a it's a small cast. This show is an even smaller cast because it's basically just Din and Grogu. Uh, but just like Rebels, this this show is slowly expanding into the bigger into the larger Star Wars universe at large. Larger Star Wars universe at large, into the larger Star Wars universe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, or larger Star Wars galaxy, if you want to be more accurate than that. So I, again, we have to ask the question: Is that the path of this show? Is this the way into into the larger Star Wars conflict? I don't know yet. Is that what you want to see? What do you What do you all want to see out of this? Uh, I've I've presented a, a couple scenarios that I think are a valid. Uh, for for the directions it could go, you know, is the is the Ahsoka spinoff going to happen? We don't know yet, and and that would change what we talked about a little bit because obviously her focus would be finding Ezra, finding Grand Admiral Thrawn, and stopping whatever plans he's up to and whatever role he has with the with the remains of the Empire. Or does it wrap into our show? Does it wrap into the larger mythology of the Mandalorian going forward, where we find out that that Gideon's arming up to fight? The Imperials, other Imperials who are trying to gain control of those factions that we talked about, and what role will the New Republic have in the in the upcoming Imperial Civil War? Because at the same time, you got to realize the Empire is still going to be fighting the New Republic too, and the New Republic fight isn't. You know, I'm sure they don't mind the Empire fighting each other. <laughs> they sure as heck don't want uh, the Empire, you know, harming civilian populations and and causing all sorts of havoc. They want to be able to be the New Republic. And, and, and unite those those outer rim sections like like uh, Carson Tiva talked about in that other episode. And Carson, he can't be the only one in the New Republic who knows something's going on out in those uh, those outer section those outer sectors of space. So, again, a lot of great mythology to get into in this episode. A lot of fun avenues to go down and, and see where where they lead us. Just a great episode overall. Again, my only quibble seems to be that. Uh, I think Ahsoka should have been a little bit more concerned that the Empire was hunting down a small child. That should have been a little bit more alarming to her. Or maybe at this point she's just not that surprised about anything the Empire does. Who's to say? 
Who's to say? But please uh, share your thoughts with me. Uh, I would love to hear what everybody else thinks from the from this episode. Obviously, everyone loved this episode. Like, that's not even a question, right? I mean, we, everyone's pretty much in agreement that this is like one of like the best episodes of the show thus far, right? 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 Yeah. Okay. I can't. I can't really argue with you on that. <laughs> but reach out to us. We're at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and share the show with all the Mandalorians in your clan. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play. If you listen to us on iTunes, uh, please write up a five, sweet, sweet, sweet five-star review. We would love you forever. Uh, they help a small independent podcast like us stand out and not get lost in the shuffle. Also, you can head on over to the network website, 3bzine.com, where you can find tabs for all the shows on the 3bz network, like Beer Night in San Diego, the TomCast Popcast, and the show MandoVision. Also, we have a sweet store envy page for the holiday season. T-shirts, hoodies, sticker packs, all kinds of good stuff from all three shows on the network. Hopefully, uh, we'll get some uh, kyber crystals in again soon. Sorry that we don't have those at the moment. All right. My, again, my name is Tom. I can't thank you all so much for. I can't thank you all enough for listening to this this awesome Star Wars podcast. I live for this stuff. I love this stuff. Give me more of this stuff. And we can't wait to talk to you guys again. And we're gonna be back very soon uh, because Chapter Fourteen is on Friday. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. Again, my name is Tom. This is MandoVision, a Star Wars podcast. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way.